Madison Story Slam. It is Adam, the host of your favorite storytelling podcast, straight from Madison, Wisconsin. How are you guys doing today? I am doing fantastic. It's a Friday. I'm done with work. I'm getting over an illness. Uh, It's fantastic. Hey, uh, this episode is from November 2016. The theme was Holy Shit. Um, So yeah, this is uh, from one of the backlogged episodes that I'm working on. And uh, a lot of great stories, and they kind of run the gamut. Just they're about everything, but they're all they're all super good stories. Uh, this episode also m- marks a change for the podcast. We're gonna instead of doing uh, instead of posting the entire recording of our live events, we're going to start splitting them in two. And the reason for that is so that we can have more episodes of the podcast and kind of spread them out over a month time. Um, so yeah be looking for that change that's that's what well i mean don't look anymore because it's happening right now whether you knew it or not or approved or not hey our next live event at the wilmar center is may 20th that will be our final event for the 2016 2017 season we hope to see you there sponsored by ale asylum as always anyway let's get right on to the stories i'm not sure who's first but i know it's going to be a great story enjoy Evening, everybody. How y'all doing? So I'm going to tell you a little story. And at the end of this story, you might say to yourself, that's bullshit. It is not bullshit. This is 150% true and happened to me. I sort of don't believe it. So it's 1991. And in the theme of holy shit, I'm going to swing a little bit into this is Halloween-ish late. So it's fall. And everyone knows that scary stories happen at scary places. So we've all been to um, wonderful haunted houses. Haunted houses are fake. What I went to was really what haunted houses try to be. So I'm a senior in high school. And I'm rolling down the road, 1230 at night, with my three best friends. We were going to a place called the Northville Tunnels. Do I have anybody from Detroit? Anybody at all? bunch of pussies. Okay, so Detroit, we're hardcore, we're tough, whatever, you know, murder capital of the world and whatnot. Camp from the suburbs, whatever. So we think we're real hard, and this is pre-internet, so when I hear in the hallways, hey, you got to go to the Northville Tunnels, man, like it's, it's scary, it's legit, like this is a real thing. I had no idea. If you go on tonight and you go to northvilletunnels.org, you'll be like, holy shit, this place is crazy. It's scary, it's big, it's real. It happened to be a eugenics farm. It was an orphanage. It was, uh, go to the thing. But at the time, I'm just like, okay, I have no idea what this is, but it's like scary and legit. We're rolling down the road, and we're listening to the Pixies, because that's all we listen to. Where is my mind? Screaming, loud, angry, getting psyched up, getting ready, because we're going to like fight the devil or... A groundskeeper or something. I don't know. It's, this is like big test of manhood. So we get there. We have no idea what to expect. Other than tunnels. Like I thought there'd be tunnels. But we walk through a hedge. And there's a big old building. Come to find out it's a dormitory. Where eugenic children were. Pros- anyway. At the time all I saw was big bricks. And graffiti. And garbage. And what looked like homeless people nests, like skeezy, dirty heroin things. So I'm like, what is this shit? We go inside, and we're looking around, and we're looking around, and there's graffiti, and there's garbage, and there's beautiful stonework. We wander into another building, and there's an Olympic-sized pool full of garbage and graffiti and homeless people nests. And we go into another building, and it's a kitchen. And in the kitchen, we find a tunnel, an entry, a door. And we go downstairs. Okay, so these buildings are huge, and they're stone, and they're scary, and they're big. And the tunnels are what we came for. But we have no idea what's inside of these tunnels. Come to find out they're really just service tunnels of steam heat between all the buildings. 
No way. They're like nests of evil. They're like, they're like demon spawn groups. We have no idea. And we think there's people in there because there's graffiti everywhere. And a lot of it's like, you know, Slayer, whoo. <laughs> but some of it's like creepy, I killed my mom, you know, Trump, Pence, will always live kind of shit. <laughs> so there's some weird stuff down there. And we're walking through. And every little noise sounds like someone just running up behind you with an axe. I mean, it's, it's the freakiest shit. So here is what we found. Little altar. A couple candles. Upside down cross. Satan is my Lord. So I turn to my friend and say, holy shit. And he says to me, I think I just peed myself. <laughs> and I say to him, is that, is that real? Is that like a real like thing? And this is around the time, broader perspective of like the wave of anti-Satanism uh, that set up the Hollywood, or I'm sorry, the um, Sherwood Hills, the... The West Memphis Three. Y'all heard of that one? Prosecution of kids for not doing anything because they wore black. So there was this Tipper Gore-esque fervor about demons and hell and Satan worship. So it's real. It's a real thing to me. I mean, it's not a real thing, but it's a real thing to me. And we're scared shitless. And we look at this and think, holy crap, these people are here. They live here. They're homeless people. They live in this tunnel. They're like, Chud, the unhuman, cannibalistic, underground dwellers. So we collect ourselves. Light up our camel reds. Get the fuck out. But we didn't get out where we came in, because it's a tunnel, and we got lost, and, and there's hedges everywhere, and you can't see anything. So we walk out of another building that was a firehouse. It was beautiful. It was four stories tall, abandoned, covered in graffiti. Creepy shit. And we're walking along the side, just along the side. We come along the side. And before we get to the corner, this really happened. Okay, I said that before, and I mean it, and you're not going to believe me. Seriously, this shit happened. We're walking along the side. We get, say, to about here, crossing that way in front of us, a column, a file, single file, of four human people, in monk's robes with full hoods on, walking silently, not saying anything, not talking to each other. Just a procession. Unholy shit? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Liam. Uh, that's when you say nope. That's when you just say nope. Nope, no thanks. I was at a church once in Chicago that my dad uh, used to be the pastor of. And I, was, I had a girlfriend that lived there and I was visiting her. So that Sunday morning, they were doing some weird special thing. I don't know. Uh, and there was like a giant pillar on the stage with this huge red candle. And halfway through the service, <laughs> halfway through the, the guy preaching... Uh, three people in big, dark robes with hoods on, carrying candles, just like this, walking slowly. And their heads bowed, so you couldn't see anything. Start walking in. <laughs> and I was like, this is why people hate Christians. <laughs> I was like, if, if somebody just happens in from the street into church right now, they're going to be like, this is insane. <laughs> so... Next storyteller has told many stories here at Story Slam. She's very entertaining, and she's always dressed to the nines. Please put your hands together for Maria de la O. Thank you. 
So this was about four years ago um, in 2012. It was July of 2012. And I remember because it was right before like the Dark Knight Rises came out and like I'm a big nerd. So I mean, how could I forget, right? And I'm all psyched up for that. But um, so it was July of 2012. And at that time, um, I had not one, but two best friends. I had my best friend, Sammy, who is still my best friend today. Uh, I'm proud to call her that. And I had this other best friend. Um, I'm going to call her Ashley. That's not a real name, but let's call her Ashley. So um, Ashley was in a relationship at this time with a boy. And I decided that I'm going to call him Aaron. And Ashley and Aaron had been together for on and off, um, mostly on, but sometimes off, for I want to say like two to three years at that point. And I had known Ashley for about... I want to say two years. I, we had gone to high school together at my first high school before I transferred, and we actually weren't friends then. We became friends on Facebook after I graduated. Um, she just randomly added me one day, and we started talking, and we formed our friendship that way. But um, we had been hanging out a lot, quite a lot that year, and she was always you know, filling me with stories about this Aaron boyfriend of hers, and just from the first time that she spoke about him, I never liked him. Um, and she was not shy in telling me that he, the things that he did, and it was crystal clear that he was very abusive to her. And of course, that's never acceptable. It's never acceptable for anyone. It's especially never acceptable for a friend or a person that you care about. And because if any of you here have seen or heard any of my other stories, I have very personal experiences with that myself. So really for me, her relationship with him was so reminiscent of my first relationship um, when I was 15, first boyfriend I ever had. And it was so similar. They were, they were really similar people. Even though we had all gone to high school together, like both of those guys were loners. They were very violent. Um, this is probably part of the reason why they didn't have a lot of friends. And we, like when I was 15 and I dated my ex, I didn't have, I didn't know a lot of people at the time. I didn't have a lot of friends to kind of talk me into sanity. And this girl, Ashley, um, I was one of her only friends at that time. So she didn't have the greatest handle on what's acceptable and what's not acceptable in a relationship. And I kind of felt like I had to be her voice of reason. So this is like the middle of the summer and she, you know, invites me over one afternoon. She says, oh, you know, I want to go to the mall. Can you, you know, help me pick out a few things? I, I need to get some new stuff. Okay, sure. You know, two young girls going to the mall, whatever, not a big deal. So we go to West Town and, um, we go into Forever 21, which is a behemoth of a store if you've ever been in there. It's really, I was telling someone the other day, it's overwhelming just to go in there. Like sometimes I've known female friends who were in the mall and I say, do you want to go to Forever 21? And they're like, I, I can't deal with that right now. Like I'm too stressed out. Like it's going to stress me out too much. I can't go in there. But we go in there and she's looking for new high heeled shoes and she picks out this pair that's like this black wedge velvet pair with spikes on the back. And I, I made the joke like, oh, they look like dominatrix shoes or they look like S&M shoes. And then I started started thinking like, oh, it's so fitting because while she's paying for her stuff, uh, Aaron keeps texting her and he, it gets to the point where he, this is the middle of the afternoon and this goes on all through the afternoon and night. He's texting her literally every two minutes. I'm, this is not an exaggeration. Every two minutes her phone is going off and every time I can just hear her like shrill voice in my head. Oh, for God's sakes, every time it's going off. And I'm like, finally, I'm like, Ashley, what is going on? Like, what the hell is he texting you about? And she's like, well, he, uh, he, he, you know, I broke up with him last night. Like, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I'm like, well, what is he doing? Is he begging for you to take him back? And she's like, yeah. And he's sending me all these photos of us. And then he's sending me all these other photos. So we, this is going on the whole time that we're shopping. We eventually leave the store. We go somewhere else. Then she says, oh, I don't want these ridiculous shoes. I can't walk in them. So she goes back to return her S&M shoes, you know, and her S&M relationship, I'm thinking in my head. Um, and, and just still during that whole time, every two minutes, the phone's going off. And she's not showing me any of what he's saying but it's still happening we go back to her house it's this terrible rainstorm hours later it's still going on and I'm finally just like this is insanity like how can you stand this I can't even stand it and she was living with her parents at the time so she's like uh like you there's something I want to show you in my room come with me and I'm like okay yeah sure We're, we go to her room she locks the door and she's like you need to be really quiet I can't let mom and dad hear me and I'm like what's going on like what, what is this so she's like trying to talk to me and she's her voice is getting quieter and quieter and she's whispering and she starts rifling through her doors and she's like I put it in here somewhere and she's starting to panic and she's like I, I don't know where I put it exactly but I, I shoved it in here the other day and I, I didn't know what to do and I haven't told anyone and you can't tell anyone Maria and you can't tell my parents and she's just freaking out and I'm like okay like it's okay you need to just show me what's going on here then we're, we're going to figure out what to do 
So she reaches into her bottom drawer and she pulls out this like Ziploc bag. And there's these three vials in it. And then there's this piece of paper that I see folded up. And I'm like, what is this? And she's like shaking her head like she can't speak about it for a second. And she opens the bag and she takes the vials out. And she reminds me that her boyfriend or ex-boyfriend, his dad, he did something with... I want to say pharmaceutical supplies, or I I think that maybe he had a business that they made pharmaceutical supplies, something like that. So he had like vials and stuff like that. He could access that stuff, but he had that in his house. So he has like three of those and they're filled with different things. And she opens up the note and she's like reading it to me. And it's this note that Aaron has written to her, handwritten, and it's all messed up, like the ink's all smeared. And she handed it to me because I was like, I need to see this for myself. And, you know, she had read everything word for word. And he was saying, he had written it the day before, and he was saying in the note that he was going to kill himself the next day, and that, like, you know, I can't live without you, you know, if I, if I can't have you, I, I just can't be here, and, you know, et cetera. He's just going on about this, and he literally says in the note, like, he, I saw it with my own two eyes, the smeared ink, he says, I've, it's so, and it's so absurd, and it's so unhealthy, like, it's like laughing at a funeral. Like, it's so ridiculous that you're probably going to laugh when you hear it because I almost, I was, you know, it's just the ridiculousness of it. But in the note, he actually said in handwriting, like, I licked this note so it'll have my saliva on it. And in the vials, he says in the note, and she told me this too, he had had, he had put his own blood in one of the vials. He put something else, I can't remember what it was. And then in the third vial, this is, this is the one that always got me. And this is another bit of like laughing at a funeral because I, the, to me, this was even more ridiculous than the blood. He said that it was his own semen in the vial. And I'm just thinking to myself because I'm like, this is so dis, right? No, right though? That's what I'm saying. Get it out now, you guys. Get it out. Seriously, like, what the fuck? Because all I was like, I'm no guy, but I, I know, like, you know, giving a semen sample is not a cakewalk. It's no fucking picnic. Like, even I know that shit. And, like, I, I even, I was thinking back to that, like, that South Park episode, because me and Ashley love to watch South Park. Like, that was one of our fun things that we did. And I'm thinking into that, like, South Park episode, because I don't know much about being a guy, but it's the one where, like, they, I think the boys are pretending to be cops or something, and, and they're like, Butters, give us a semen sample. And Butters is like, but Frellers, what's a semen sample? And Stan is like, oh, dude, it's that thing we talked about in health class where you tug on your wiener and this white stuff comes out. And he's like, oh. And it takes like the whole episode for him to get it out because he's like, I just thought about Stan's mom's boobies and then it, this weird white stuff came out. So I'm like, even I know that like, like who, all I could think in my head was like, who voluntarily gives a semen sample? Like what kind of it? And he says this all in the note. He's saying, if these vials contain my blood and my semen and my this and that because I wanted you to have them because you're the love of my life and you are my only reason for living and I'm going to do it tonight so when I kill myself it's your fault he literally says all of this and she starts crying and so I I hug her and the thing is like thrown down on the bed so I'm like okay let's just we'll get it out of the house like let's just we, we don't want this in here let's just get it out so I'm walking her out I'm like oh we have to throw out some cans or something because her brother was in the house her older brother was visiting so we go out to her garage and we throw it out and then we go and sit in the living room with him I think her parents had gone to sleep eventually and we're watching tv and we're just kind of talking her brother doesn't know about all this and then we hear this banging on the door like we hear a, a car pull up and this banging on the door and she goes up to answer it and while she's opening the door Aaron, her ex, is like shoving it open and he's like, Taylor, or he's like, Ashley, fuck, I just gave her name away. He's like, Ashley, fuck, (laughs) holy shit, right, guys? Holy shit, I'm ruining it. Okay, so he's like, I need to talk to you. He's like, I need to talk to you, I need to see you. And she's like, get out of here, like, I don't ever want to see you again. And I'm sitting on the couch and like, I don't know what to do. And I'm just sitting there and I knew that this guy hated me. He hated me because he tried to isolate her from all of her friends and family because that's what abusers do, right? They isolate you. And he knew, you know, that we were best friends so he didn't like me at all. And he had made threats to me. He actually lived really close to where I was living. So he had threatened, you know, to come and beat me up. He threatened to rape me. And he made sure to tell my friend, like, oh, I, I'm not attracted to her at all. Like, I would just want to rape her just to hurt her because, like, she's, you know, that's what she deserves and she's worthless. And, like, all the things that, like, my ex used to say about me, too. And, like, oh, I would make it as painful as possible. He threatened me. And then he found out that, like, 
I knew how to use guns because apparently he stalked my Facebook and saw me shooting my brother's AK-47 and like that didn't really sit too well with him. So I'm like, good, back the fuck off. But, um, but he's in there and then her brother was in the bathroom. He comes like running out of the bathroom. He shoves the guy out the door. We, they literally, her and her brother had to shove him out the door. And while he's like in the door, like trying to get back in, he looks over at me sitting on the couch and I've got like my fists clenched and my hands are shaking because I so badly want to just like scratch his face up or just throw something at his head. And I'm like, I can't do this. This bastard is not worth going to jail for. So I'm just like sitting there and finally he goes, hi Maria. Like he's like egging me on. Like he can see how angry I am and I just don't even acknowledge him. Like, and it took all the restraint that I had to just sit there and so then when he finally leaves and the whole time I'm thinking he can't drive so his dad willingly drove him over there like his dad is as fucked up as he is and you know finally when he leaves she starts crying she breaks down and she tells her brother almost everything and I finally say you need to be honest with him do you need me to go get it and she's like what do you mean and I'm like what we what we did before in the garage do you need me to go get it and she's like okay so we go out into the garage we get it we show our brother and I'm like I think that we need to give this to the police he basically incriminated himself he says in the note what everything is he says he did it it's his handwriting he literally says his saliva is smeared on the note like come on so we call the police we give it to them um you know they tell her she needs to file a restraining order she's freaking out um and she, they tell, they actually told her, they're like, we need you to send him one last text message to just say to him, don't ever contact me again through any of these channels, like Facebook, MySpace, whatever. Um, like, you need to word that out, send it to him, then don't say anything, and then we can file the restraining order. She couldn't do it. She was like, I can't do this. I'm like, okay, let's, give me your phone. I'm going to do it. So I did it. We sent it to him through her phone. And now, um, for, flash forward four years later, me and this girl, we're not friends anymore. After that incident, she didn't, I think she resented that, I, you know, I guess she thought I was hard on her because I was always telling her, you need to break up with this guy and break up with this guy, like for months before that. And she would say, no, he's a good guy. I love him. She didn't like that. Um, but we're not friends anymore. But actually one time last spring at, uh, over at Madison Storytellers when they had a, an event over at Old Sugar Distillery, uh, I think it's Brendan, the host, he asked everybody to write down what is the best thing you've ever done on a slip of paper. And I didn't know what to say. I feel like I don't have great accomplishments in my life yet, but I just thought, well, I, I wrote it down. I was like, I helped my friend like file a restraining order against her ex. I didn't know what else to say. And I forgot, he was going to read them all out loud at the end, so I forgot to turn mine in. So in this one purse of mine, I have this little slip of paper that said, I helped my friend file a restraining order. Other people were saying, like, I climbed a mountain, or, you know, I did this great thing, and that's awesome. It's super cool. I didn't have anything like that. But I still see that slip of paper sometime, because I never took it out, like, in my purse. Um, I don't regret that we're not friends anymore. I feel like... I did the best that I could to try to help her in any way that I could for a long time. I'm glad that she's still alive. I'm glad that this guy didn't kill her because she deserves to be alive. The world deserves to know her. And I guess if somebody just asked me to sum it up in a sentence sometime and I didn't have a lot of time to explain myself, I would probably just say that I helped a friend. Thank you. Hey, you guys. Hope you're enjoying the stories so far on this holy shit episode of Madison Story Slam. Along with uh, our new format, we're going to have some uh, breaks in the middle of our episodes to just talk about some stuff, some ways you can help Madison Story Slam, maybe some ads. We're kind of shaking things up. One of the ways you can help us, uh, for those of you who have asked, a way to support us financially is through Patreon. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Madison Story Slam. And that is sort of like a GoFundMe or Kickstarter, but instead of it being a one-time thing, it is a monthly service where you can say, hey, I like this thing and I want to be involved. I want to support it financially. And there are different tiers you can do. You can do $1, you can do $5, and then it does that every month. Um, so that's a huge help to us. Another way you can support us is just go to our website, madisonstoryslam.com. And uh, click the support page where you'll find um, a link to a Amazon affiliate link, I guess. And um, what happens there is if you click that link and then go to Amazon and shop, a percentage of your sale goes to us, and that helps us out immensely. Anyway, I'll stop taking up your time and get you back to stories. Up next, we have Jacqueline Prelip. Hello. 
Hello. I am so excited to be here. Um, second story. My name is Jacqueline Prelip, and I wanted to tell you about my holy shit story. Okay, so I'm a twin, and um, my twin's a boy. My, he's, yeah, my brother, Zach. And, um, okay, so seventh grade, we went on an end-of-the-year field trip. It was like the middle school field trip. We lived in Rockford, Illinois. We went to Brookfield, Illinois, to visit a zoo, the Brookfield Zoo. And we were a couple of little shits, and all of our friends were little shits, too. And we brought a camcorder with us, like one of those handheld camcorders. And we were just filming each other being jerks. And um, at the time, like, walkie-talkies were really popular, so that way, like, little kids could talk to their parents. They're, they're cool. They are very cool. But they were, they were in at the time. And my brother was like, I'm going to just bring the one because like, I don't want to talk to anybody that I know. I just want to pick up other people's signals and like mess with them. And he was such a, such a jerk. He still's a jerk. But anyway, he, um, he brought his walkie-talkie with. And this was, like, this was like the early 2000s. It was right after 9-11, actually, which was horrible. Um, so everyone's talking about like the hot-button issue is like bombs and terrorism and stuff like that. And he's just a little jerk. And we were, like, we were just walking around the zoo um, and just filming each other being stupid, but he basically was like, my name is Osama bin Laden and I have a bomb and I'm going to plant it in the, or I got planted in the center fountain of the zoo. And I'm like, I'm like, Hey, like, that's not cool. Like you can, you can like joke about some things, but that's like, you're going to get in trouble. Like do not do that. And you're just like, you're a wimp. Like you're so stupid. Like I'm, it's going to be so funny. And then we had a friend named Matt Hutchins with us and um, he was wearing like a blue sweater and blue jeans. My brother's like, yep. And I, um, I'm wearing a blue sweater and blue jeans. That's what I look like. And anyway, um, so we were wrapping up the field trip after just like the whole day of just being little jerks. And we're all the whole, like it's a seventh and eighth grade, like the whole middle school is on this field trip. And we're all loading into the buses, just getting up there. And then as we're leaving, um, somebody, like we, we kind of noticed some like, like cop cars circling the center fountain. And then we also have a security guard that taps us on the shoulder because I think my brother described our friend and then they noticed the description. And like, do you have a walkie-talkie with you? And my brother was like, yes, I do, as a matter of fact. And um, he got arrested in front of the entire school. <laughs> yeah, he got, he got handcuffed right then and there in front of everybody and got like handcuffed and was, had to stay and we all had to leave. And it was like the most awkward bus ride home. And like, yeah. <laughs> And then my, my dad had to drive an, an hour and a half to come pick him up, and he was so pissed. And um, I just remember my mom was like, you need to go with your friend, and you're gonna, like, you just need to go to like, the movies or something just to get out of the house. Because like, I was like, I'm not, I guess I'm not in trouble. Like, I didn't do anything. I told him not to do it. Um, and then I remember watching a movie called The New Guy in the theater. And I was like, I've already seen this movie. And this mo-, like, I'm just sitting there, and it's like at a comedy. And I was like, this is not funny. I cannot laugh. I'm like, my brother is like, going like, to be grounded for the rest of his life. He's probably going to go to jail. Um, but anyway, like, my dad just talked him out and like, talked the comedy out of it they're like he's like hey you know um he's an idiot like he <laughs> like he doesn't know what he's doing he's like a you know 13 year old little boy so he he's he shouldn't be like go he shouldn't go to jail please and they let him go but then my um I was in a drama class and my teacher she was the um chaperone and she ended up having to stay with him and she caught like food poisoning because she stayed at her friend's house in the city she got food poisoning and she was gone for a few days because she, she was like never our relationship was never really the same she didn't like me afterwards and um, I'll never forget the movie the new guy and he just got my brother got in school suspension for a few days and he was grounded for a little bit and he never got to have his walkie talkies anymore and that's that's it thanks Jacqueline uh, I still stand by that walkie talkies are still popular I, I told my, <laughs> this is not a lie I told my wife last week I was like I'm gonna go buy some walkie talkies <laughs> I was like some like a really nice pair. <laughs> Come on, they're fun. I remember I got uh, a pair of those like long range two way radios in like ninety nine two thousand. I got them for Christmas, and they were super super popular late nineties early two thousands. And um, I lived in some prairie, so it seemed like every kid my age got some of those. And somehow we all found the same channel. So like all over the city, some prairie were like. <laughs> It was like, we're all talking, but it was almost like online dating. It was like, hey, you've got a sweet sounding voice. I was like, and we're like 11 years old. <laughs> it was wonderful. It was great. Um, our next storyteller uh, is wonderful and always tells great stories. His name is Brad. Clap for Brad Freihofer. So if there's anything uh, to know about me, I have a, a pretty intense curiosity about 
pretty much everything. And when I was younger, I had a particular interest in magic. I was always curious, how did magicians do what they did? How did they pull rabbits out of hats? How did they, you know, make doves appear? You know, how did they get out of straitjackets or handcuffs and all those type of things? So the, the combination of magic and my curiosity uh, is, is just not always a good combination. Uh, so when I was younger, I was probably about um, eight or nine years old. My parents, uh, I'm sure it was like a school night, and my parents are like, all right, it's time for you to go to bed. Um, and so I'm like, all right. And so I, huff, I kind of huffed and puffed up these stairs uh, from watching TV to, to go to bed. And so I was brushing my teeth, and I, I went back in to my bedroom, and I lay down. My mom's kind of like hovering, making sure that I'm going to go get some sleep. Uh, and so she walks in, and she, she, you know, I'm in bed, and I'm like, all right, I'm, I have no desire at all to sleep, not, not at all. Um, and so I'm sitting kind of awake, and my mom leaves and goes downstairs and joins my dad, and they're watching TV or, I don't know, 60 Minutes or something, who knows. Uh, and it was kind of sitting awake where, again, my curiosity started to get to me a little bit. And I was like, I was just thinking, like, I'm bored, I'm not going to sleep. I want to do something. My room is boring. There's nothing in here. Um, You know, my mom was kind of like smart. My dad, they removed everything fun in the room. (laughs) So I was like, all right. So I remember my mom and dad telling me uh, that, you know, because I remember walking into their room one day and they they looked at their closet and they said, hey, never go in there. All right. Don't you never allowed in there. You can never go in there. If we ever see you go in there, you're grounded. All right. Don't ever go in there. And so I, sitting awake that night, I thought, this is the perfect time. They're downstairs. They're downstairs. We're going to be fine. I'm going to just kind of sneak in there. Let's see what's in there. There's got to be amazing stuff in there. Uh, And so that's what I did. I lightly got out of bed. I was a little nervous, so my heart rate was beating just a little bit faster because I remember being like a little anxious about it. I opened the door really quiet because, you know, it's creaks. The door's got creaks. The floor's got creaks. I was, you know, tiptoeing around. So I get out of the, the, my room, I head across the hallway, and as I cro- head across the hallway, I can look down the stairs, and I'm like, you know, kind of making sure, like, all right, no one's hearing anything, I'm kind of listening really carefully, taking some pauses. So I get into my parents' room, and now I'm in a part of the house that's a little bit more sound buffered, so I know I'm probably pretty good. So I open up their, the closet. My first thought is like, oh, this is a dead end. Like, there's nothing here. It's just my mom's clothes and my dad's clothes, ties. I'm like, this sucks. So I looked around. So I looked around. I'm like, I'm like, all right, I did this trip. I'm like the most courageous person ever. I did this trip. I'm going to get something out of this. So I look, I'm looking around, and on the very top, there's this huge top shelf, and I'm a tiny kid. So I'm like looking at this top shelf, and I see this... Um, this bucket. It's like a, a gray bucket, and there's a bunch of stuff in it, but I can't quite see what it is. So I, I remember my mom storing like a small little step stool underneath the bathroom, uh, like uh, vanity. So I go in there, I pull out the step stool, I sit it down, uh, and I look up, and I'm like, yes, like this is all coming together. This is awesome. I'm listening to make sure mom and dad have not moved from uh, whatever show they're watching. And so I go up, and I, I'm able now to reach the gray bucket. And I kind of like, you know, you, you kind of poke at it to see how heavy it is. I'm like, oh, all right, it's not too bad. I mean, it's, it's, it's not light, but it's not too bad. So I pull it, and it's not too heavy. So I bring it down, and I sit it on the floor, and I'm like, I look at this thing, and I'm like, jackpot. I'm like, awesome. There are coins in there, like weird old coins. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. So I'm like, I'm starting to like shuffle through it. Uh, and I'm like, look, I'm like, oh, I'm picking stuff up. And like, there's old books in there. And like, looks like, uh, like Korean war items and like, just like, just stuff all over there. And then I see this box and it's a dark blue box and it's got a very, an official logo on it. It almost looks like a, a, a police seal on it. And I'm like, oh yes. So I open this box and I'm like, no freaking way. There is handcuffs. These beautiful, beautiful, pristine silver handcuffs. And I'm like, yes. I'm like, I, I, my brain, I'm like doing cartwheels. I'm like, this is the best day of my life. And I'm like, I, I'm like, I can't even, even now, I'm like coming back to me. It's awesome. So I pick up the handcuffs and I'm like, this is awesome. What am I going to do with these? And so I'm looking at them. I'm like, I'm like opening them, you know, so it's a ratcheting, and then they go again and ratchet. I'm like, this is so awesome. So I'm like, 
okay, what can I do? So uh, I'm like looking around. I'm like, all right. Um, so I just try one on me. I'm like, let's just, let's just see how it works. So I, I, I hit it, I, and, it's, and, it, and it hits that first ratchet. And I'm like, this is awesome. It's hanging down. And I'm like, I, this looks, I, look like, I look like I'm badass. This is awesome. So I'm like, cool. So I'm like, what can I do now? I'm like, well, like, you know, I can't just, like, handcuff my other hand. That doesn't, like, I I can get out of that. There's no magic to that. So I'm like, oh, here's what we're going to do. So I walk back over to where I can look down to uh, the first floor where my parents are, and there's a railing that goes along the wall. And I'm like, awesome. Awesome. So my eight, nine-year-old self looks at that as, like, opportunity. So I see that there's a hook um, where the, basically the banister, the railing, meets the wall. And I'm like, this is awesome. I don't, again, don't know why we're having any issues here. Uh, and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I'm like, yeah, but I bet if I pull real hard, I could, I could get that banister off. So I'm like, I'm going to do one better. We have, so when you go downstairs, there's a cutout. So the wall on one side stops, and there's an open. You can kind of see the whole first living room there. And there's this, like, half banister. It's a built-in. Like, it's for real, like, thick wood. There's no, like, screws to attach anything. It's on there, and I'm like, that's my ticket. Because it looks like a little jail cell. Like, when you go down, like, there's slats, and I'm like, this is kind of cool. I should mention this time, my dad works for probation and parole, so he works within the criminal justice system, and my mom works in K-12 through uh, special education. So my, my parents are around sometimes people who have had struggles in their life at one point or time. So I'm like, this is going to look awesome. So I take the other handcuff, and my parents are literally right on the couch. Like, mom's on the couch, dad's sitting in, like, the love seat or whatever, and they're watching whatever show. And I slowly, I put my hands on them. I'm, they can't see me yet. So I sneak around. I put my, the, the other uh, handcuff through around the, the banister. And I click my other hand. And I'm like, now I'm on there. And, I've, and then it starts to sit in for a second. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, and I realize I'm stuck on there. And I can't do anything. And I start... And I realized I didn't bring the key with me. It's still back upstairs in the closet. So I start to freak out. I start to panic. I like try to get them off. But I had clicked them too many times. Like they are right on my wrist. And I'm realizing I can't get them off. And I'm starting to really panic now. I'm starting to kind of whimper a little bit. Like I'm really scared. My mom is now sitting on the couch. And she's like, I can hear it look to my dad and her to say, like, what the hell is that? What what she's hearing is like a... uh, 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 uh. She gets up, and I'm really starting to get nervous now. She comes around the corner of the stairs and sees me in handcuffs, like... (laughs) And I'm like, oh... And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I... She's like, oh my God. She's like, Randy, come over here. And so my dad comes over. (laughs) My dad comes over. He sees me and he's like, oh my God. My mom's like, he's got your like handcuffs from work. And I'm like, I don't even know what to do. So my mom's like immediate like problem solving mode. So she's like, all right, let's go get some butter. Let's go get some oil. So my mom is buttering me up. It's like pancake time. She's like buttering me up on my wrist. And she is pulling, like, she realizes the severity, like, there's no getting me out of this. So, like, she is trying to pull and yank, and we can't get it off. She tries oil, and she's rubbing it in. We can't get it off. My dad's like, we have no choice. Uh, We're going to have to call the police. So that's what he does. And a new officer to the squad, this is over in Baraboo, Wisconsin. So a new officer to the squad comes in. He's um, pretty new to the force. And my dad, my dad kind of whispers, I think, at him and says something like, yeah, we've we got to scare him a little bit here because he, he's not going to learn this lesson. Again, curiosity. There's been a wave of these issues. <laughs> and my dad, so he, he comes in, the officer comes in, and he's in full uniform, and I'm really scared now. And he comes up, and I'm, like, scared. I'm starting to cry a little bit. And, and I'm sitting there still on the banister, like, on the stairs. And he walks up, and he's like, he, he eyes the situation, and he's like, 
All right, I think I know what we're going to have to do. He goes back outside to his squad car. He comes back in. And I, it is, again, I am eight and nine years old. He brings the largest bolt cutters I have ever seen. I mean, they, they, ha- they seem like they're four feet tall. They're as long as I am at this point. And I am horrified. Like, he's like, we're going to have to cut them off. And I was like, there's no room, like, between, I was like, no, no, I'm like, and I'm like, I'm starting to crawl up the stairs, like, please, no, please, no, and my mom, dad, my mom, my dad's kind of grinning, my mom's like, we have to, there's no other choice, they have to do it, they have to do it, so he takes the bolt cutters, he puts them right by my hand, and I am freaking out, and he just clamps, and snap, the first one comes off, and I'm still, I finally release my hand, and I want to climb up the stairs, my mom grabs my leg, and is like, nope, nope, we got to finish the other one, um, and so the, the officer then comes back, and he cuts the other one off, because what we didn't realize is there was no key, there was no key to these handcuffs, which is exactly why I should hold my curiosity, maybe ask a few questions before I take it down that road. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brad. Brad, you said your mom had to, like, oil up your hands? Yeah. Do you think that's the first time she had oil and those handcuffs out? I don't think so, but <laughs> They were the handcuffs from work. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that one before. Uh, <laughs> our next storyteller is fantastic as well. Her name is Mel. Please clap for Mel Hammond. This is a Thanksgiving story about my sister. And my sister is the most important person in the whole world to me. Um, Though we never had that kind of sister relationship where we would throw a blanket over our heads and like whisper secrets to each other or anything like that, um, we, we spent one summer like inventing new sandwiches every day at lunch. That was more the kind of relationship we had. Um, we would like write the recipes and plaster the fridge with them. Um, her favorite was um, the sun chip and applesauce sandwich, which she called the tax exemption wrap. Except you had to, you couldn't say it tax exemption. You had to say it like tax exemption, like Patrick Starr does in SpongeBob. Um, like you have a like huge mustache. And my favorite was um, the turkey onion and grape jelly sandwich. Um, And it was called the nail gun sandwich. So like that was our relationship. We were just like super silly together. Um, So we weren't really good at like sharing really deep topics um, with each other. So when my sister came out to me, it was a little awkward. Not because she was afraid that I was going to like judge her or not accept her. Um, It was just like hard to like, talk about it. Um, But she did come out to me, and I was very accepting, and she um, said that she wanted to come out to our family at Thanksgiving, which was a month away. So I did all my research and figured out how to be, like, a really good ally, and I started planning, like, how I'm going to help make this a smooth thing for my family. Um, Because... my family is also more on that, like, let's invent funny sandwiches together, not the, like, let's share our secrets kind of family. So um, I spend the month planning and doing research, and then Thanksgiving comes, and I drive home to Indiana, um, and my sister is there, and my brother and my sister-in-law are there, and my grandparents are there as well. So uh, it's Thanksgiving Day, and we, we have dinner, um, and I keep looking at my sister to see when she's going to do it. I hope it's not going to be during the meal, because there's something incredibly awkward about the clinking of forks that I just can't stand. Like, when no one's talking, but, like, the forks are making noise, and I just wanted to avoid that at all costs. So she didn't come out at dinner, so that was good. Um, Dessert came, we passed the pie around and the ice cream, and um, still, like, she didn't, like, do the awkward, like, throat clearing or anything. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe 
maybe she like didn't feel safe or decided to like this this wasn't the right time um so I I tried to like talk to her afterwards but uh, like there were things just kept happening and I didn't get a moment alone with her so I was like well maybe like maybe next year at Thanksgiving or maybe at Christmas um and I'm I was kind of ashamed at myself for like not talking with her more about it before beforehand um like I said we were like we weren't good at like sharing those things with each other so it was still awkward to talk about um but after a few hours after dessert um we were like kind of getting ready for bed and she said are you are you ready and I said yeah let's do it so it was it was go time um so she pulled a letter out of her out of her suitcase and she said all right let's go um so i gathered up my parents and my brother and my sister-in-law um my sister and i decided not to include my grandparents in this initial coming out um because we wanted to just like talk to our like really close family members first so we took them all down to the basement and we sat around in a circle and my sister handed my mom the letter and asked her to read it out loud and i was really nervous at this point um my chest was super tight and my heart was beating and i really wasn't sure how things were going to play out um my father is a pastor at a kind of right leaning church and i knew that even if he like came to accept my sister it was going to be like a whole other hurdle for him to like talk about this talk about his daughter freely with his congregation um so he he was going to be the pain point i was sure um so my mother started reading the letter out loud that my sister had written and i've got my eyes trained on my dad the whole time he's sitting in his blue lazy boy Um so my mom starts talking and she reads the letter and um uh, my sister starts out in the letter by talking about how gender is a construction and um people are born and assigned a certain gender and it doesn't always match up with how they feel inside and i look at my dad and he looks like he's just swallowed his car keys <laughs> he's just all hunched up like really unhappy like uh like just sinking deeper and deeper into his chair and I'm like oh shit <laughs> um this is it wasn't so much a holy shit moment for me but more for my dad um my mom keeps talking and um she's reading the the letter and it's a couple pages long and my sister goes into detail about like how she's been feeling um this way for so long um and how it's been really hard for her to come out as a woman to people who have considered her a man for so long um and i i look at my dad and he's he's starting to like say things but not to anyone in particular he's just kind of grumbling to himself and he he says things like i don't accept it it's this this is a phase and um we're we're going to have to see a counselor but this is not all right and everyone is really tense and as loving and wonderful as my mom can be um it's not enough to cancel out my dad's like negativity so my mom um is still reading letters she's not at the end of the first page and um we're all so tense and my dad is just sinking deeper and deeper into his chair like a shrivelly grumpy mushroom and all of a sudden we hear some footsteps on the stairs and someone is padding down very slowly step by step and we look and it's my grandfather padding down the stairs um and he's pretty hard of hearing and uh doesn't know what's going on um so uh we're silent we're just watching him come down the stairs and he gets to the bottom and he has some papers in his hand 
And he walks straight up to my mom, who is still sitting with the letter in her hand. And he says, Andy, that's my mom's name. Andy, I bought some gift certificates from Golden Corral. (laughs) Did you know that if you buy a $20 gift certificate, you get $5 free? (laughs) So I bought five gift certificates. That means we get $25 free. (laughs) And I wanted to give them to you now. (laughs) And my mom says thank you and takes them. And then my grandfather turns around and we watch as he walks back up the stairs. And everyone in the room, except my father, is just dying. We are cracking up. Even my sister, who is going through the biggest ordeal of her life thus far. But my dad is just still in his chair, like, actively trying not to laugh and trying to, like, show that he's really not accepting of everything that's going on. But it was funny, and everyone else knew it. Um, So after that, my mom's like, well, should I keep reading? And we're like, yeah, keep reading. Um, And she keeps reading the letter. And my dad doesn't smile. And he doesn't have anything wonderful to say afterwards. So my grandpa coming down with the coupons didn't, like, change his outlook at all. But it made the rest of us realize that there is nothing so serious or there's no topic so sacred or hard to talk about that can't be interrupted by my grandfather's (laughs) drive to save $25 at an all-you-can-eat buffet. (laughs) Thank you. All right, there you go. That is the first half of our Oh Shit episode. Hope you enjoyed those wonderful, amazing, great stories. Uh, So many fond memories over this past year. Anyway, enough reminiscing. Again, like we said at the top of the show, our next uh, Story Slam event is May 20th. That's the last one of our 2016-2017 season until August. We always take June and July off for summer because people want to be outside. We do have something special in the works for the summertime, though, so we won't be too out of sight, out of mind. Uh, But the theme for May 20th is death, sex, and money. If you don't have a story about death, sex, or money, then you just haven't been living. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Ale Asylum, for sponsoring our live events and the podcast. Please go support them, because they support us. And again, thanks for uh, loving our show and being a part of our community. We'll see you next time.